My name is John Decker. Anyone? So this Thursday, I'm going to bail you out because I love you. We got a call, and we love RUF, and RUF's like, we need a space to do our Thanksgiving. And so poor Angie, who's super on it, and we, we had to notify her, like, hey, uh, can we use this space? So um, thank you guys. And then secondly, please have that kind of grace on me as I make my mistakes as well, because I will blow up a few times in this sermon. Let's, let's pray. No, let's read. Then we're going to pray. That's what pastors do when they get nervous. They say, let's pray. And then it's like, well, who argues that? We are wrapping up our Joseph series almost. Uh, next week our Advent series will begin. Jason will start the Advent series this year. The four Sundays will be uh, as far as the curse is found. He'll begin in Genesis 3, kind of beginning the series. And then I'll preach the following three. But the, the first one I'll preach is Genesis 50. And we're going we're gonna to look really at that final famous verse where Joseph says what you meant for evil to his brothers, God meant for good. What we're going to do this morning is look at everything from where we left off. Remember, uh, Joseph finally has revealed himself to his brothers and is telling them, go get dad, go get Jacob, our father, and bring the whole family down. Um, and, and we're going to have this life together. And that's really what we're going to look at this morning. And it's going to focus a little bit more on Jacob because Joseph sort of moves a little bit into the background as we see Jacob's life uh, drawing to an end. So uh, from chapters 45 through 47, I've just picked a, f a few verses to create about a three-minute read, a three-minute narrative. Uh, but I do encourage you to read all of those uh, verses on your own. So let's begin at Genesis 45, 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives. And bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. In some of those, inner, in those verses, they convinced him, and he believed. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, Israel took his journey with all that he had had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. 
Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possessions in the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. This is the word of the Lord. Let me start the timer. It's another pastor trick. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that this story not only is 100% true and vital to the reason we're even here, but it's also insight into the way you love your people and have a plan to bring us into your courts of heaven that we would long to live all the days of our lives with you. And Father, we see that in this passage, um, that understanding was what really fueled the faith of Jacob and his brother and his sons and their family. So I pray as we come as your children, our faith would be stirred by this story, by what the, the epic drama of redemption found in Christ, your son. Holy Spirit, please teach us to orient our lives in that story. Amen. Uh, years ago, I, I was reading a book on, called The Art of Fiction, which I recommend. It's a great book. And he was talking about a word that apparently I had mispronounced for a long time because then Grayson went into, I guess, a literature class and we were talking and I mentioned the word. And he's like, oh, you mean, and he said the real word. So let me just tell you the way I said it and I'll tell you the way you're supposed to say it. The word is, the word I was saying was denouement. Anyone? But the word is pronounced denouement. It's French, denouement. Well, that's cool. I didn't understand it fully. But as I began to read about it and learn more about it, it's what we would call often, we might say, a conclusion to a story. A story has the introduction, the, the rising, uh, the conflict and the rising climax, right? And then there's a res resolution to this, this problem, this conflict, and then it sort of ends. Like they live ha happily ever after. And in French, they don't prefer that closure, so they use this literary word from a verb meaning to loosen, to untie. And, and what the denouement really means is it's taking all the plot lines and understanding why they're there. So rather than a conclusion, which would say it's all over, it's rather saying we now understand the reason. Uh, Dan Allender, uh, in explaining that term, says it this way. He says, it doesn't mean an ending that resolves, like it's all done or it's all better. It's far more like a place of solace that gives you a roof and a food over your, over your head that night. And the word that comes to my mind from our passage as I think of denouement is a sojourner, right? When you're a sojourner, you're, you're sort of, in a way, temporarily resolved. But you know there's a final place you want to go to. And that's exactly how Jacob refers to his life to, to the Pharaoh as a sojourner. And that's exactly how we're told all through the New Testament we are to think about our stories. 
is we are people who are sojourning. We are not in the final phase here, right? Yet we are to be fully engaged here in this life. And so this passage really gives us, I think, a really beautiful picture of what it might mean to recapture as Christians what it means to live as sojourners in this life. Um, one little example, I think, of the way we want to be sometimes is we want to be from a place. We lived in Colorado, and, of course, we moved there. But, you know, the people that are from there have these, like, bumper stickers that say native. It has, like, the green mountains and the white background. So I bought those for my daughters because they are natives. It's this way of saying we're from this place. And I think all of us long for that, don't we? We want to say I'm from here. I went to school here. I get how it all works. And yet, as Christians, we're told it's not true. We may understand a lot about Stillwater and about America, about our family, about whatever, but the truth is our home is in heaven. And I think we need to be aware as Christians of, our, of the tendency to want to be so enmeshed in our world that we actually lose sight of our true calling of heaven. So that's what we're going to talk about, how sojourners and understanding that concept will free us to rightly see rightly live and rightly die. Does that sound encouraging? Every time we bring up the word death, people are like, oh. we're going to learn how to see, live, and die. So first, being a sojourner will free us to rightly see. Jacob comes to Pharaoh in chapter 47, and there's this short meeting, and he has this speech. And remember, the Pharaoh asks the question, how many are the days of the years of your life? And the answer is 130, but he doesn't just say that. He says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Now, if you think about it, he just became a sojourner in Egypt. His home is Canaan. But something has happened where he now realizes that's not even true. That there's a home beyond Cana that is his, and his whole life has been one of sojourning. And so what he does is as he's beginning to realize this reality, he's, he's, something has transpired in his life that he now comes into this room of the Pharaoh and he basically answers the question, how are you, with these, with these words. Uh, and and I, it's an interesting question, how are you? Like, how are you doing? Right? I was talking to Jimmy right before this. How are you? He's like, I'm good. And then we kind of, well, I mean, you know, we all have that, like, do I tell you the truth? Do we... How close do I get? How much do you want to know? And so it's fascinating that when, when you know, jo, jo, or Jacob has finally met not just Joseph, his son, who's over everything, but the Pharaoh, the king, who's in charge of all the things that are good in that region. And he walks in, and his answer is, my sojourning's been 130 years. And listen to the next sentence. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. What in the world kind of an answer is that? What do you think the Pharaoh is doing? Like, okay, buddy, like, I just wanted you to say thanks for having me, and Goshen looks awesome. So what's going on with, uh, with Jacob? Well, uh, let me remind you of um, the fact that he's just found out some incredibly horrible news. Like, think about it. The brother's like, hey, we found him. Your, your son, Joseph, he's alive. Huh? Like, what, what's that conversation? What's going to happen next? Yeah, it turns out that that animal that we thought killed him and tore up that coat didn't. 
somewhere in there, what's going to happen? We did it. We did this. And all of a sudden, at this height of excitement and, and this, you know, this protection in Goshen and all this stuff, and even the fact that Joseph's alive, what's happening for Jacob? My sons did this to Joseph. And all of a sudden, he sees the evil of his story, doesn't he? Now, do you know the story of Jacob? Right, Jacob, great kid, right? Grew up, his dad loved him, and he went on to have the blessing. Or his dad loved Esau, and Jacob was jealous. And so Jacob waits till Esau's weak and makes him that food, and, Jacob, and Esau sells his birthright, and he tricks him, or he at least uses his weakness. And then later, when it's time to pass on the blessing, Jacob's mom orients this scam to pretend Jacob is Esau and have to trick Isaac into thinking he's his son. The blessing's like fake. The entire thing is a farce, yet God is sovereign. And it's just a fascinating moment. I can almost see or feel Jacob going, I did the same thing. I favored my son. They had envy, and then they did this, and yes, it's all good, but it just, it seems like his ability to be a sojourner frees him to finally go, okay, I can see it now. I can see what's going on. When he comes to Beersheba, he has this conversation with God, which we'll talk about more in the next point, but that's where I think God lets him know, do not be afraid. I am your God. This is all part of the plan. And so Jacob is now able to rightly see the plot lines coming together of his life and can rightly say, my years have been few and there has been evil. I've recently been reading uh, 1 John where he talks about God is light and in him there is no darkness. And the idea of shining the light on our lives and seeing the truth is incredibly scary. And when we do that, what John knows is going to necessarily happen is we're going to say, I have sin. And if I see my sin and I don't confess my sin, what does John say? I'm, I'm making God out to be a liar. This morning I read Psalm 51, which is the famous psalm where David's confessed his sin. And he says, basically, based on his confession, making your words true. When I confess my sin... When I name the actual things I've done and the things that have been done, when we bring it into the light, what happens is we're actually saying, God, you are true. You are real. Um, it's not a great example, but I'm going to give it. If I walked in and threw a briefcase down, which I don't really have, sort of a briefcase, and I yelled at everybody because I had a bad day, and later Emily said to me, hey, did you notice how harsh you were? And I said, yes, but it's, it's how I'm wired or they deserved it, or anything other than a confession, aren't I saying that the verses, love is patient, love is kind, right? Aren't I saying verses like that are not true? Aren't I saying by holding on to my sinful behavior, God is not real, his words are not true, that there's a new gospel I'm believing, and what, what I think Jacob is finally able to do is realize I've been living this crazy existence where I went from one favorite 
to another. I've been sending my sons into harm's way. I've been living for the present life, waiting to bless my next offspring. And God finally says, listen, I'm your God, and do not fear, and you're going to go down to Egypt. And by the way, you're learning that your sons did this. You're a part of it, and there's freedom. There's actually freedom when we can understand the fact that we are not in our final place. We are sojourners because of what Jesus has done. And we no longer have to rest on our record and rest on the things we have done. Are you, a, are you willing to shine the light into your life story? Based on your relationship with God, based on the freedom you have in Christ, are you willing to say, I can see the dots of my story and how they're connected to God? I can see how there has been harm, both that I've done and that's been done to me, and how God can use that once I name that, once I'm honest with that. Do you confess your desires to God to keep things hidden? Because we all do, don't we? We all like our secrets. We all like the darkness. And yet, as Christians, we are set free individually and as a community to bring things and say, here's the true story. And it is my belief that when Jacob saw that story clearly, it's when he knew the whole thing, the whole picture started to make sense. He was a sojourner. His days were few and were filled with evil. That's the bad news. Actually, it's really good news. But the good news is, the better news is they were, because he was able to name that reality, it freed him and it frees us as we recognize that we're sojourners to flourish right where we are. It frees us to live. So there's this interesting moment where, where um, again, I'm using that part where he's talking with the Pharaoh and notice the freedom he feels. I, I, I'm blown away by the fact that if I had walked in, I would have been like, your highness, you know, how do I bow? What do I do? What does your culture expect? How do I make you like me? I really want to make sure you give me the, the land you said. And J- Jacob walks in and blesses the Pharaoh. Do you see that? He walks in. In verse 7, when Joseph brings him, here's my dad. Jacob walks in and does some form of Hebrew blessing on this pagan king. And then, man, 130 years sojourning, you know, this stuff we've already talked about. And then he blesses him again and he leaves. There's something about his presence and of mind to say, I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here to try to win you over. I'm here because of what God is doing. So backing up to chapter 46 then, what God is doing, and we'll look at that just a little closer, is God says to Jacob in this dream, here I, or Jacob says, here I am, and God says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down, go down with you to Egypt, so I'm going to be with you, and I will also bring you out of Egypt again. And finally, Joseph's hand We'll close your eyes. God is giving him the full picture of what it's going to be like to be a sojourner, isn't he? You're going to be there for a season. While you're there, I'm with you, and you will flourish, and then I'll bring you out. And so 
my encouragement to all of us is if we believe God's story is true, we have the freedom to flourish right where we are. But here's the trick. Our timing is off. Like there was somehow Jacob knew, I don't know how, but notice Jacob never left Egypt. He dies in Egypt. So God's giving this big picture, but it's hard to know exactly when and where and how, and yet Jacob submits to it. He just says, I trust you and I trust this because I now know the whole story, the denouement. I know how it goes. I don't know all the particulars. I don't know what's going to look like next week and next month, but I trust it and we can settle in and we can do it. We are set free. And particularly by saying, I am your God, don't go down to Egypt and take on their gods. Don't go down there and try to get so enmeshed in that culture that I become a distant memory because I am with you. In Galatians 4, Paul talks about the history of the Israel's, of the um, Israel nation and the history of even the pagans. And he says, both of you, both of us kind of have this background where we were sort of raised on what he calls elemental principles. That is the way kind of the, lo- the world worked at the time. For the Jews, it was the law. But for the pagans in Galatia, it could have been something else. But he says, now when the time has fully come, Jesus sent forth, or God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem all of us that were under law to no longer be subject to the elemental principles. Confusing? So you go into Egypt, and it's like, okay, there's this entire culture, and I want to figure it out, and I want to know how to fit in, and I want to know what I'm doing and where, how it goes, and that's not at all what Jacob felt. He felt like, look, God is with me. Okay, we're going to go over here to this area. We're going to farm. We're going to do what we're good at. Oh, by the way, the Egyptians hate, it's, we didn't read this part, they hate um, shepherds. They, so you're an abomination. So it's sort of like you're, you're sort of free to go and be who you are as far as you can make friends and love the Egyptians, but they're probably not going to love everything about you. And that's what they were set free to do. And so the end of the story then tells us how it goes. Thus, Israel settles in the land, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And he lived 17 more years. So God poured out blessing on their time of sojourning. Now, that time of sojourning, he wasn't consumed with how long am I going to live, how big is my flock going to get. He just worshiped the Lord and put his hands to what was in front of him, and they grew. In Hebrews 11, here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it. These all died in faith, referring to a list of names he just mentioned, not having received the things promised, But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If if Jacob had only been talking about, let's just get back to Canaan. As soon as we have enough stuff, the famine's over, let's head back. Let's just go back. That would have ruined everything. But because he understood the sojourning and that they were waiting for the true home of heaven, they stayed. And the writer goes on to say, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That is a picture of the gospel for you and I. If we are in Christ, Christ has called us to a new community, the church. We are no longer part of the community of the world in the sense that those are the operating principles by which we live and move and have our being. So we have to always be watching for the differences, right? Where am I tempted to run after the gods of the world? Um, for example, everyone, um, every culture that's ever lived has valued um, being fertile. I remember in our history, we studied this little image. I can't even say the name. I don't remember. Some, someone knows. You all know. But it was this woman statue that was thousands of years old that was an idol to fertility. So it had certain things on the statue to kind of point out the fertility. And the point was, they didn't just value it, they worshipped it. Right? But the, that's what the Egyptians do. But the Hebrews, Jacob's God, God is like, I'm your God. I'm the one behind fertility. Worship me. So all of us as sojourners have to ask, where are we worshiping the principles of this world? Is it our reputation, our income, our pleasures? One that I'm super guilty of, and again, I'll, this is going to sound weird, is how we measure time. <laughs> Did I just, I'm just going to lose you right there. What? Like we wear watches. I've got two more minutes. Like I, I, somehow this thing called time, which Einstein says doesn't even exist, I'm way out of my pay group. Trust me, I know. But yet, we, it's not that we measure. That's not the problem. But I let it consume me. How long till I get? How much longer is this? And my point is that's just a small example of how we can take really important principles of the world and make them our, like, evaluative measure. How much money do I have? How much is that person like me? We, these things begin to consume us. And as that happens, God moves farther and farther and farther away from our view. And those moments, we have moved right into the Egyptian world and we're just enmeshed in the culture. And God is like, no, you are sojourners. So how do we make this shift? If we want to flourish, we need to make this shift. If we want to flourish where you are, you make this shift. What does that mean? Even um, Eastern thinking will talk about being present. Have you all... You know, mindfulness and meditation and some really good principles. But the point is, a lot of what they're saying is we get so caught up in so many other things. If we could just be present, right, we have a shot. We could be aware of the relationships. We can be aware of, of the work we're doing. The problem for me has been, well, if I'm super present, I'm going to see my sin. I don't want to. So I have to necessarily ignore pockets of my life be present. But here's where I think the sojourning concept gives us the power for that freedom. So our last thought, we're free in our sojourning to rightly die. We name the evil, point one, we flourish where we are, but here's the power, because we rightly can die. Now that sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? In Matthew 10, doesn't Jesus say, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a mystery. And what he's uncovering is the fact that when I work so hard at protecting me and being ensconced in this life, I'm going to lose my life. But when I lose this and focus on God and Christ and follow him, I'm going to actually flourish right where we are. And I get to go to heaven. Isn't that what Lewis says? You get 
you focus on earth, you're not heavenly, you lose heaven. You focus on heaven, you get earth and heaven thrown in. I should have written that down. Well, in our passage, the moment Jacob finds out who Joseph is and then meets Joseph, he says to him, now I can die. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want his life to literally come to an end. He's saying, now it makes sense. Now I see how it works. And going back to our little pa- our, our few verses of chapter 46, that last line, God says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. There is something so intimate and so beautiful about Jacob hearing, because he hasn't seen Joseph yet. That you're not only going to see your sons alive, he's going to be present with you at that moment of death. Isn't that amazing? What's, being, what's going on? What's this background? What's the backwards narrative here? In, G- in Genesis 12, it begins with Abram, where God says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, here's the promise, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who is it talking about? Jesus, right? So that in Luke 2, when Simeon sees the baby, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for a revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What is Simeon saying? The denouement. Like I see it makes sense. And here in this baby, I understand that you had to come and live this perfect life. And you took on all of the requirements of the law so that we would be set free. We read about that just a minute ago in our assurance of pardon from Second Corinthians, I've been meditating on this for a few weeks now. And there's that place where we, I, I don't know if you've done this, but when I first started memorizing verses years ago, one of the first two was Galatians 2.20 and then this one. Second Corinthians 5.17, so we read that. Jason did that, by the way. I didn't know he was going to do that, so I love how the Lord works. But he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We've all learned. What is the therefore? Have you heard that? Like when you're reading your Bible. What is the therefore, therefore? So I've memorized a verse that says therefore. I need to know the verse ahead of it. Here's what it says. From now on, therefore. Oh, now I've got to go backwards even farther. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What's being said? Here's how the Egyptians, here's how Stillwater, here's how this world we live in values people by the flesh. Are you good enough? Do you contribute to me? Can I, can I jump on your back and get what I need out of life? In other words, law, right? Who's worthy? Who's in? Who's out? Who's better? Who's worse? Paul is defending his ministry because he's had problems. And the Corinthians are like, well, we don't want a guy that's got problems running our ministry. So Paul's got to say, let me explain these problems and let me explain kind of how this works. And here he's saying this. So what we don't do is we don't look at you, Corinth, 
nor should you look at us based on the flesh. How great you are, how great you speak, how important you seem to be. Rather, we don't do that. Rather, we look at you only according to who Christ is. Now, Christ had to do that. Christ was born of a woman. He was born under law. And he had to walk this earth perfectly, sinlessly. We call that his active obedience. He is the only one who actively could say, I'm following the law. Everyone else is breaking the law. I'm following the rules. And by doing that, when he dies on a cross, those of us that are found in him, the new creations, are no longer of the Egyptian realm. We're no longer of the old school. We're in this new realm. We are now sojourners here living out the economics of heaven. What would that look like? I'm going to give you a really interesting illustration to just find that because it's a sinful illustration, kind of, sorry. It's my preface. I, I was talking to a person at CrossFit the other day. I have to be careful because you know people at CrossFit. And this, uh, this lady was leaving a job, and she's like, well, I, I racked up all of this sick leave, and they wouldn't let me have it, and, and, uh, or not even sick leave, vacation days. And I've always, as a pastor, and maybe some of you have this too, I'm always like, what do you do, like, just because I have weeks of vacation, I don't just get to throw them out. Like, you know what, guys, I'm going to take the next seven weeks off. I'll see you all in eight weeks. Like, that doesn't, not everybody can do that. So I, I began to kind of ask her, like, can you just take those days off? And, like, you know, is it like a kind of, you know, some jobs you can. You can just say, not coming in for the next three weeks, and they'll fill it in, and you're good to go. That's what I was asking. Make sense? Are we on the same page? It's not a great illustration. We're getting close, trust me. But... Her response was this. Again, I'm not advocating for this response, but here's what she did, and I get what she's saying. She said, I don't care. You hear that? I quit. I don't care. Now, let's forgive her that there might have been some sin involved. However, do you feel the freedom she's feeling in that moment? All the rules and all the obligations and all, I'm free. That's all I know. Have you all ever had a moment like that where you just were like walking out of maybe your last final, walking out of a difficult, like you're free, you're set free. That's the freedom we have in Christ. Jesus has set us free from all the obligations. But the irony is as sojourners, rather than leaving, it's going to make us drive in because we can go into these hard places of conflict and sin and struggle Having been set free, knowing that nothing can take me out if I'm in Christ. Is that what we believe? Is that what you believe? Is that what you build your life on? If you are a person who says, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. I want to hear all these truths of Christ. I want to know those are there for me so that when I die, I go to heaven but I want to live on earth, and I'm really good at following the rules. We are, all of us, pretty good at it. We can get good jobs. We can save up our money. We can, do our, we can live by the rules of the culture so well that the, the thought of dying to the, that lifestyle to have a true life is terrifying. And yet Jesus is saying as clear as the day, if you will not take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. And we have opportunity after opportunity to go, Lord Jesus, I don't want to do that. And that's what we have to confess. So coming back to 1 John, when the light's turned on, 
I'm going to see parts of my life that I don't want to be exposed. And I, was, and I love the fact that my only job is simply to confess that sin. And it says he is faithful and just to forgive us that sin and to cleanse us from its effects. He does that work. I don't do that work. Will you join me in seeking to be a disciple of Christ? It is hard. I struggle. I fail. I, I leave things in the dark. I thri- we, th- we thrive on that. But there's something about knowing that we are sojourners here. We are part of the people of God. Heaven is our home. That frees us to say, time out, no more. Our years are short and there's been much evil. So we can confess our sin and flourish in our context as those who are united, not by who we are of the flesh, but who we are in the spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would take your words to heart. Lord, I struggle to confess my sin. I prefer to keep it hidden, especially if nobody knows about it. So Lord, I pray right now for those in our room, and I know I'm one of them, that we, we might need to have just some courage from your spirit to go to somebody and say, I'm struggling with this sin. And Lord, as a community, when we keep things in the dark, we pray that you would also expose those things, that we could even as a community confess the ways we are afraid of being found a sinner. But Lord, teach us that by giving our life, dying to ourselves, exposing our sins to you, we actually get your life and abundantly, and we can flourish in our time here as we sojourn And Lord, in heaven, when we see you face to face, we can know we have an eternity filled with glory. Will that heaven on earth, will that break in for your glory? Amen.